Lord, help me in the name of Jesus. Well, today is Palm Sunday, right? And that's such an important, important day. Uh, you know, I was reading this morning in Mark 11, uh, which in my mind, Mark 11 is all about Jesus speaking to the fig tree. Because that's where it's at in, in Mark's gospel. So when I think Mark 11, I always think about my mouth and being able to speak to my mountain and all that good stuff, you know. But the truth is, all that came in the context of Jesus uh, entering Jerusalem on that donkey. And that's, you know, he entered that way, and that was all in that moment of time, uh, which began this last week of his life on earth. That's, that's why Palm Sunday is an important day, you know, and that's why we should celebrate like they celebrated. And I think that's what we did this morning. We celebrated the, the entrance of the Lord, you know, and, you know, and then, of course, week is, you know, Easter. Some people don't like to call it that. I don't, you know, I just don't care, but I'm not that hung up because I know what it means to me. It means the day we celebrate his resurrection. It's the day we celebrate that he came out of the grave. And to me, you can call it whatever you want to call it, but just in case you were really high-level religious and <laughs> don't use you know, Christmas and Easter and, yeah, all that good stuff. <laughs> Anyways, um, so, Lord, we just want to say that, that we want to celebrate those things because they're important to us, Lord, and they were important to you, Lord. Important enough for you to go through it and and allow those events to be recorded in your your precious word. So thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that today is Palm Sunday, and we just want to remember that you came in, worshipped, worshipped, Lord. You came into Jerusalem to be worshipped, and and at the end, Lord, they killed you. But that was not the end of the story. And we're so thankful for that. Your story continues today, Lord, in our lives. And we just want to acknowledge that and say that without that story, Lord, we wouldn't be here today. And I just pray that somehow your story would become our story and our story would become your story and that somehow we could share those stories with the world in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I'm going to read Revelation 5.1, if you don't mind. And it says, On the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Of course, this is John. Uh, you know, I've been preaching some through Revelation. You know, I'm hitting my limit. Okay. I don't go beyond chapter 5 because bad stuff happens, and I don't do bad stuff. I let other people talk about that. But you know, the beautiful thing about it is, is even though it was bad, it's going to turn out good. If you, just, if you fast forward, you can jump over into chapter 20, and that's really sweet, chapter 20 of Revelation. But I wanted to bring up this scroll deal here because this is such an important thing. And I have discovered at least, there is at least 11 different uh, beliefs about what that scroll is. It's written in that scroll. I'm talking about from commentaries and scholars of 
uh, historians what they believe, at least 11, I think it's seriously. <laughs> and that's just my little minor research on the scroll. And uh, so, but the truth is, is no one really knows for sure what's written on that scroll because nowhere in the Bible does it tell us what's in the scroll. Nowhere. So every, every one of those 11 are merely what people believe their opinions, including my opinion and my belief that I want to tell you today. Okay, I believe I'm at least 100% partially right on this. Okay, and I, so I'll, I'll leave some room because, like I say, no one really knows. But this is what I really believe. I wanted you to know that because we know this scroll is very significant, right? We know this scroll, the fate of the world is written in that scroll. The fate of the entire world, the fate of the future of the world is written in that scroll. And that scroll was in the right hand of God Almighty. And we know in the Bible, the right hand speaks of authority and power, right? I mean, that's what it meant. So we, that makes that scroll important. And we also know, know, you know, I talked to you a little bit last week of the, the, the thing that John, and I'm just astounded at this, hear this man standing and literally in heaven, seeing God the Father sitting on the throne, seeing the angels, seeing the beast. Hearing the worship, seeing the glassy sea, all the things that he saw, the rainbow around the throne. Being in, I mean, can you just imagine seeing all that? Yet he wept. He wept in heaven. So if anybody ever tells you, I may have said this last week. I'm fascinated with this. If anybody ever tells you there's no weeping in heaven, not true. Because he wept in heaven. Because they, remember I told you last week, they looked... Everywhere there was to look, all in heaven, all on the earth, under the earth, everywhere there was, there was nowhere else to look, and they could not find anybody worthy to open the scroll. And John had this convulsing crying and weeping. And so that really should tell us this is this thing is kind of important. This this is a big deal. Uh, some of the things that people have said it is, is that some people say it's the, the New Testament. Some people say it's the Old Testament. Some people say it's the New Testament and Old Testament. Some people say it's the Lamb's Book of Life. Yeah, so there's a lot, a lot of these views. Some people say it's the Book of Revelation, which like, oh, well, that kind of makes a little bit of logical sense. <laughs> it's fascinating, isn't it? It really is. So what I want to... Tell you, I'm going to go. I'm going out of the book of Revelation to explain something to you, and this what I'm telling you is is really biblically 100% true. So, are y'all with me? And I'll come back to the book of Revelation. And I think this is important for us to really get. I mean, it's been very impacting in my heart to really ponder on this because it really sets some things in order in my heart in my mind. First of all, I want to say that God the Father has determined that Jesus Christ will be king over all the nations. There's a verse in Psalm 2, verse 6. It, this is what he says, I have set my king on my holy hill. That's Psalm 2, verse 6. So God has determined in his heart that Christ will be king over all the nations. He will be in charge of all the nations. And we know that Jesus was enthroned in heaven, right, at the resurrection, 
Okay, that's Ephesians 1.20, that he would sit far above all principalities and powers, rulers and authorities. And we know this, okay, now this is really important to know. He is not yet enthroned on earth. But the Bible tells us uh, in, in Jeremiah 17, I think it's 17 verse 3, that Jesus Christ, or 317, one of those, just help, Lord, that he will, that God has determined that Jerusalem... Is the, will be the capital of the world and Christ will sit on the throne in Jerusalem. Okay, that's what he has determined. Now listen, listen to this. A couple of weeks ago, Jim Hill mentioned a Matthew 25 where it, where it talks about Christ returning to the earth. This is at the very end. It says, when the king comes in all his glory, that's Matthew 25 verse 31, in all his glory with all his holy angels, and all he gathers all the nations to him, and he separates the nations. Actually, it didn't say the king when the king returns. This is important. It says when the Son of Man returns. That's, that's a very key word. But then guess what in verse 34 it says, uh, 25 verse 34. It says, then the king will say to those nations before him. Did y'all get that? Are y'all getting what I'm saying to you? He comes back to the earth momentarily as a son of man. But when he opens his mouth to speak, he's the king. He's the king and he begins to declare what's going to happen to the nations. So Jesus Christ is not yet king of the earth. Biblically speaking, he is not yet king of the earth. But he will be. He will be crowned. He's crowned king in heaven, but he will be. And it makes that... that, uh, prayer we just prayed your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven makes that prayer a little bit more like whoa this is this is pretty serious what we're praying are you did y'all get this what i just said this is really profoundly important i mean it's profoundly important so i want to say i believe many people believe that scroll is the title deed to the earth. It is the title deed to the earth. And they can give, and these, these scholars can give you historical reasoning why they believe it's a title deed based on some scriptures in the Old Testament about how they did title deeds. I tend to believe that. I tend to believe that in that scroll is the deed to everything that's created. And there was only one person that was worthy to open that scroll. Are y'all following this? I I hope y'all are. Let me read Psalm 24 verse 1 and and go through and explain something to you that could help you. Um, And I, wow, this really helped me. Uh, Psalm 24 verse 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the the world and those who dwell therein. So, By creation, God created the earth and everything in the earth. Therefore, God is the rightful owner of the earth. The earth's His. It belongs to Him. That's that's at at the beginning of time. Earth is God's, God, because God created it. It means we're God's. We belong to God at the beginning of time. That's the way God meant for it to be. Okay. Genesis 1.26. This is a very important verse in In the Bible, it says, you know, 
This is at the creation story. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So this is what is called the original commission or the original mandate of man that God gave mankind. So, so what God did when he created the earth, he owned it, but he, when he created us, our forefathers, all of our forefathers, Adam and Eve and foremother, he gave them, he delegated authority to them over the earth. In other words, he didn't say, I no longer own the earth, but he did say this, you're in charge of the earth now. You're responsible for the earth now. That's, that's what God said. And so man had that. It was given to him. It was invested in him authority from God. And God was the only one who had the right to invest that in man. Well, we know what happened next. We know in chapter 3, the devil, the serpent of old, comes and tricks man, deceives man to turning over the authority that was rightfully given to man to him. That's what happened. The devil got the authority over the earth when man sinned and chose to, to not believe what God said and believe what the devil was telling him. That's really kind of what happened to us. And that's really why the earth is in such a, a terrible state. is because back then, that's what happened. Back in the garden. And from that time forth, God began to set in motion plans to reestablish a, a, a people that he could put that, get that authority back into their hands. And he did it. You know, he tried to do it with Noah. He tried to do it several times, actually. And that's uh, the original purpose of the nation of Israel through Abraham. When he said, you and you, all the nations will be blessed. In other words, I'm, I'm looking at you, Abraham, and that's where the authority of this earth is going to get back to you. And it really is talking about his descendants, the nation of Israel, to get, the, get a people back. But really what was happening, y'all, right from the beginning, there was this seed of God that God was protecting. And that seed was going to be in Mary, the mother of Jesus. And you see that woven all through the Old Testament, things that happen, and some of the things that God did you think was insane, they were not insane. He was protecting the seed that one day would come, come forth. And out of that would come the Savior. And the Savior came, but he was not just a Savior. He came to restore what we lost in the garden. He came to restore our relationship, number one, with the Lord. Because man lost a relationship. He came to restore. That's what Jesus did. And he also came to restore man's authority over the earth. That's, that was one of the main things that Christ wanted to do is get that. That's what God was trying to do. And actually, in Christ, God did establish. But he had to establish it with a man. He had to be a man because God originally gave it to a man. Does that make sense? So he had to have a man. And he could not find a man until he himself came as a man. And so as a man, he could give this authority back to the earth and to Christ. Does that make sense? I mean, there's a lot of information. There's a lot going on with all this. Obviously, I'm 
this is like the ultimate funnel. It's like, wow, there's a lot here. Let me read Luke 4, 5 through 7. So Jesus is on the earth. You know, he just had this encounter with, you know, with the Father at his baptism. The Bible says the, 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 the Spirit of the Lord drove him into the desert. Okay, Jesus has this amazing encounter. He's being baptized. All of a sudden, there's a, there's a, the Holy Spirit comes on him. There's a voice from heaven affirming who he is and affirming, you know, the, his, how loved he was. And, you know, next thing he knows, he's standing out in the desert facing, facing the devil. And it says the Spirit of the Lord did that. That's kind of important. But it says, you know, and of course, we know that the devil tempted Jesus, like, with these different temptations. I want to dial in on this one in Luke 4, 5 through 7. It says, Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all what all the kingdoms of the world, all of them, in a moment of time. So this is a spiritual experience. So at this point in time, the devil knows something's up with Jesus. Obviously, he was there watching when Jesus was baptized and heaven was opened and the Spirit came down on him. So he knew I've got to deal with this guy. This is the guy, and I've got to deal with him because he's the guy who could get all this back from me. I think the devil knew that because the devil, you know, he, was been, he knew that was going to happen at some point. And then the devil said this, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me. Who delivered it to him? Adam and Eve. This has been given to me. So he had a legal right to it, okay? And I will give it to whomever I wish. That's what the devil is telling Jesus. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all this will be... In other words, he was trying to get Jesus to take the ultimate shortcut. You can have it all, but I get to be the boss, and you have to worship me. Of course, you know what Jesus said, get away, you know, bum. You only shall worship the... The Lord thy God, you know, he's like, you know, that's fire and wicker thing. So what was, did, now we had to notice that Jesus did not dispute the devil about that. He didn't say, oh, no, 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 you don't have this. You don't have a right to this. He didn't. He didn't dispute it because he, Jesus knew it was true that the devil had authority over the earth. Jesus didn't argue with him about that, but he did tell him, I ain't worshiping you. You know, pal, get away from me, you know. Um, so we know, you know, again, I'm funneling everything down. We know Colossians 2.15 says that Jesus stripped at the cross. Jesus stripped the devil of all his weapons, okay? That's what happened at the cross. When Christ died, it, he took away all the weapons of Satan, listen, y'all, I want y'all to hear this really clear. He took away most of his authority. But he did not take away all his authority. Do you hear what I'm telling you? At the cross, all the authority of Satan was not removed. And see, lots of Christians get in their mind, you know, there's an extreme in Christianity about the devil. It's like he's bad to the bones and, you know, or he's nothing. It's all taken care of at the cross. And neither, neither case is true. It's not biblically. So um, let me read Ephesians 2, 1 through 2. 
and this is beautiful. This is a great Easter verse. It says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which, in which you once walked according, listen, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of air. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Paul the Apostle talking to the Ephesian Christians post-resurrection, post-ascension of Christ. And Paul is declaring there is a prince of the power, but more literally authority of the heiress. One of the problems that, that is a sad problem in the New Testament and many, many, most translation is there's two words. There's power and authority. And they translate them lots of times as the same. This is not power. This is not dunamis. Most of y'all know what dunamis is. It's when the Holy Ghost comes on you. Right? The dunamis. That's that's power. But there's another word. E-X-O-U-S-I-A. Well, whatever. (laughs) It's authority. Authority in the New Testament and power are two different things. But I'll tell you one thing authority does. Authority gives you rights to exercise power. You hear what I'm saying? It's not power, but it gives you the right to exercise power. Like if you're a boss at work, you have the right to enforce the rules of the company because you have this authority invested in you. Does that make sense? So Jesus was, was, uh, Paul was saying the devil is the prince of the authority of air. In other words, the devil has a demonic kingdom that's real, that exists today, and he has the authority to enforce his kingdom. Yes or no? He does have the authority. That's what, that's what he says right there. So the devil has this authority. It means he has the right to use the power of the dark world when he needs to. Well, y'all should be knowing something, right? So he's a prince, okay? And so what he does, he manipulates the world. He influences the world. And he tries to deceive us and trick us and slander us to believe what he's saying. And when we believe what he's saying and when we fall for his tricks, then he has this influence in our life. He has suddenly whatever Jesus said in one place, I forget where it says, I think it's in, well, forget where it says, in John or it's in one of the Gospels, right? He said, the devil is coming and he has no place in me. Meaning there's no area of my life that, that the devil has a ground. Because if he had a ground, he could have influence, he could have authority in that area of his life. Are you all right? And so that's how the devil manipulates and influences the world. And that's what's going on in our world today. Is the devil is having, has all this influence in the world. Because he still has authority in the world. Now let me read this, John chapter 15, verse 18 through 19. Are you all hanging with me this morning? This is what Jesus says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. He's talking about the world. If you were, listen, of the world, have we heard that lately, of being of the world? We don't hear that no more. I don't think we do. As a young believer, somehow that got drilled into my head about not being of the world. 
I, I, I kind of understood about being of the world, but yet being in the world. Because we're not called to leave the world, we're, but we are called not to be of it. Being of it is, is, is the values of the world, the passions of the world, the thoughts of the world, the influences of the world. That's being of the world. And when we allow that into us, guess what? The devil suddenly has a place in your life. Now, this is kind of important, right? So when, let me finish this. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world. That's what Jesus was saying. You're not of the world anymore, but I chose you out of this world. Therefore, the world hates you. It hates you because you're not part of it no more. You have, in Christ, you're an alien to this world. You are an absolute alien to this world. You're like somebody from another planet to this world. That's what you are. And that's why it hates you. It hates you because you come from another planet of goodness and love and passion. That other planet is called the kingdom of God. That other planet is called being in Christ and Christ being in you. Now, Jesus made it really clear in John 17, 14. I'm not of the world, is what he said. And he said, I'm not taking you out of the world, but you're not to be of the world. Okay? So Satan has no absolute authority over any believer. Okay? He really doesn't. But he's going to continue to mess with you. He's going to continue to intimidate you, try to intimidate you. He's going to continue to tell you stuff. He's going to continue to try to get you to compare yourself to other people. He's going to continue to tell you you're not good enough. He's going to continue to tell you all the bad stuff you did yesteryear or yesterday or this morning or five minutes ago, how terrible that disqualifies you. He's going to continue to tell you through Fox News and CNN and, and social media and this and that. He's going to continue to talk to you and lure you into the world's thinking. He's, going to not, he's not going to stop doing that, y'all. And so that's where we had to realize we, that's not us. That doesn't belong to us. We don't want that. We don't want that thinking. We don't want those attitudes. We don't want those perceptions. Yet we're called to live here as aliens because we want to get those people that are in the world. We want to get them into our world because we got a better world. We got the best world. We got the world. Are y'all following me? And so as a young believer, I'm so glad that got drilled into my little head because I was suffering with worldliness as a young person. I was still wanting to do stuff that people in the world did. I was still tempted to, to smoke pot. I was still tempted to drink excessively. I wanted to do those things. My flesh, it was craving those things. I, I was tempted to be, to, to be that angry boy I was. That's of the world. And just saying, Byron, no. We're going we're gonna to work that stuff out of you, son. You know, because as long as you're doing that stuff, as long as you're, you're focused on that stuff, it's, you know, the devil's going to be able to get to you. You know, and, and so that's what was going on in my life. So, you know, I totally believe this. The Satan is still in the world. He's still a ruler, but in, in the truest sense, in the believer's heart, he's a defeated ruler. But he's not defeated in the world, y'all. He still is, he is still ruling the world. 
And you would have to be an absolute idiot not to think anything. You just turn CNN on, and you would, in about two minutes, you're like, hello, this is kind of fake. This is a lie. I mean, you don't have to have any discernment. You just have to be half awake to turn. I'm serious. We watched a few, we, we were at a friend's house, and they had the national news on, and we were sitting there like, are you serious? People are actually watching this. This is all a facade. This is all lies. This is all a false narrative they're pumping. I mean, we knew that, and we don't know anything. We just know that ain't the truth. You know, where's the truth? That Jesus is the truth. You know? And I'm not, I'm, those people need to be saved, man. Hey, that's what they need. Let me go back to Revelation. So, did I give you a good picture of what's going on in the world? And this went on up until John's time, 60 years after the resurrection of Christ, okay, when these events began to happen, when he wrote, when he began to have these encounters with the Lord taken up to heaven, okay? That's why John wept so hard. Because in his mind at that moment, he was not seeing the full picture. He was not, he was saying, this world's going to continue. The devil's going to continue having his way in the world. And the brokenness of the world and the messed up stuff of the world, the, tox, the toxic climate of the world is just going to continue. And it absolutely crushed his heart. And that's why he wept uncontrollably. And I think, you know, thank God heaven let him weep like that. You know, I think I said this last week. It helps us to relate to him. When we feel this sorrow that comes at us, this loss, this pain that we experience. Am I talking to anybody? Like, yeah. All right. I'm just going to go on because I'm just saying here, help, Lord. I got 10 more minutes. Listen to this, verse, chapter 5, verse, Revelation 5, 5 through 7. But one of the elders said to me, don't weep. Listen to this, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Isn't that powerful? That is powerful. He's prevailed. Yeah, prevailed. In other words, there was something that he had to overcome. There was this victory he had to have to do it. So here's the finished work of the cross. The work of the cross is finished, but it has not completely been revealed on earth. It's like one man said years ago, the work of the cross is finished, but it's not finished in me. There's more work to be done in me. There's more work to be done in the earth in terms of what Christ accomplished on the earth. And that's what's going on here because the next verse tells you that. Did y'all follow that? And I looked and behold in the midst of the throne, the middle of the throne. That's a kind of an important place. Like there's no other greater place than being in the midst of the throne. Right, that's the highest place there is. In the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. Stood a lamb as though it had been slain. The lion 
has prevailed. But when he looked, he didn't see a lion. He saw a lamb that was standing that had looked like he had been slain. In other words, this lamb was scarred up. This lamb was beat up. He carried the scars of his death into heaven. As one beautiful commentator said, in heaven, this is powerful, y'all. In heaven, the only mark of man is the scars on Jesus Christ. Isn't that powerful? The only mark of man, of what man, talking about the evil of man, not the goodness and the beauty of man that God has put in all of us, but the evil, fallenness of man, there is still that mark of be in heaven for eternity. That when we see Christ, we will see a man full of scars. You know, in, in Isaiah, it says he was so horrible looking, he was not recognizable, he was disfigured. He was disfigured, and he didn't even look like a man. And so in heaven, he carries the scars of all that. I think that's just amazing. I think that's just a beautiful thing for us to know that there's this man up there who's carrying the scars of what we did to him, what religion did to him, what hate did to him, what jealousy did to him, what resentment did to him, what, all that what the devil did there in the garden. What, that's the end result is what it did to Jesus. Yet he let it happen because it was a big trick. Are y'all okay? I just wanted to mention just in case. This was a really weird lamb. Because he had seven horns and seven eyes. Right? I mean, dang, what kind of lamb is that? I guarantee you Larry Faldo who has lambs. If one came up with seven, seven horns or even three horns, he would like, something's wrong here. We got to kill this thing. I ain't having nothing that weird. <laughs> it's crazy, and it's seven horns and seven eyes. There's some crazy stuff in the Bible. You think people get wild in church sometimes? That's crazy. That's not crazy. This is crazy. This is crazy. They got creatures with eyes all around them up there. That's crazy stuff. And you wonder why we get crazy sometimes? It's in our genes, y'all. It's our heavenly life up there. They've given this craziness to us. We're doing the best we can to live up. Seven eyes, seven horns. Y'all ain't doing very good just jumping around and yelling, but okay, you know. It's the best we can do on earth. <laughs> I'm just kidding, kind of. Well, I think we've talked about the seven eyes or the seven manifestations of the seven, seven spirits of the Holy Spirit. That's what they are. The all-seeing, all-knowing eyes that know everything and sees everything. And if you ever looked into the eyes of the Lord, if he ever pulls back the veil through another person and looks into you, it will terrorize you. That is a terrible feeling because the Bible says everything's naked before his eyes in Hebrews. And if you ever have that experience, you think it would be bad to get your clothes stripped off of you in front of all your friends? That is a hundred times worse. Because you are totally exposed. I've had it happen to me a couple of times. And both times it shook me to my core. Because all the ugly in me was exposed. There was no hiding. But you know what the beautiful thing about those eyes are? It's love. It's healing. It's not meant to humiliate you. That's your flesh responding. 
that's your flesh that feels terrorized, but there's this love that comes if you just kind of lean into it and not run from it. You'll find healing like you've never found before. You'll find healing on a level that's incredible because that's what he does. He can't, oh, man, you know, y'all, I'm a grandfather. I look at my grandkids' face. There is one feeling, love. Even in their worst moments when I want to hit them. Like, I would slap you in the next week if you was my kid. Yeah, I don't know what's wrong with your mom and daddy. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I want to stay alive so I don't mess with my grandkids. I just say, I'm calling your daddy. <laughs> don't call daddy. And, you know, of course, the, the horns in the Bible speak of power. All-powerful Jesus. All-powerful. I just think that's so beautiful. Yeah. It says uh, the Greek word for lamb, it doesn't say that, but this is a, a fact in the New Testament which was astounding to me. The Greek word for lamb, L-A-M-B, is used 29 times in the book of Revelation. 29 times and one time in the rest of the New Testament. Is that not profound? 29 times in the book of Revelation, it talks about the Lamb, the Lamb of God, the slain Lamb. One time, I think it's in John chapter 1, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's the only other time. I, I was just stunned when I found that out. Like, what? That can't be right. That cannot be right. But it is right. Here's what one, uh, another amazing commentator said. Um, in the Old Testament, the lamb appears on the altar. In the Gospels, he's on the cross. But in the book of Revelation, the lamb is on the throne. Isn't that powerful? He's on the throne. And see, that's, that's what's happening here. That's what's happening. John is seeing that the lamb is king over all. And he is the only one because of what he went through. What he did to be able to open up this scroll. And the scroll would begin to, you know, these end time events would happen. Y'all been catch, keeping up with all that good stuff. These event, events would begin to happen. Because these events would lead to the earth being restored. To what Genesis 1.26 I've given you authority over the earth. I, I, I love this thing that Rick Joyner said years ago. He said, every book or every chapter, every verse in the Bible, maybe not every verse, but every chapter, every book of the Bible is about restoration except for the first two chapters of the Bible and the last two chapters of the Bible. Do y'all get that? Everything in between is about what God is doing to restore everything back to what he originally meant in Genesis for man to have. And then in Revelation you know, 20, you begin to see the new Jerusalem. I think I've shared this before. I'm just fascinated by this. The new Jerusalem comes down, and you realize the, new, the garden... The garden back there that man had domination over, man was to rule over, was meant in God's heart for all eternity to become a city. It was a garden city. 
If you study the two, you'll find a lot of parallel, a lot of stuff that it says, a lot of the material. In, in Genesis, it talks about stones and all this stuff. It was all the building material to build this heavenly city. Are y'all following that? That's profound. That's profound. And that's why, that's why this Revelation 5 thing is so important. It's because Jesus is the one who's going to make sure that that city comes down out of heaven. And that he's going to rule over all the nations of the earth. And he will come back as a man, the son of man. But when he opens his mouth, he's opening as a king. And he's going to say to the nations, you're on the left, you're on the right. Jim made a great point. It's not being all concerned about when these things will happen. It's what we need to face is what will we be doing when the Son of Man comes back? What will we be doing? And he talks about the poor and the... Are you all okay? Let me just finish this up now. It's 12 o'clock and somebody might get anxious. Yes, Lord. I... Mm. This stuff is fascinating. I mean, this is, this is amazing stuff. This will make you love him. This will make you say, I want, to get, I want to get in line with you. I want to follow you. I don't want to keep being worldly. I don't want to keep being tempted. I want to get in line with what you're doing. I don't want just some anointing, Lord. I want to do what you're doing. I want to follow the Lamb. That's what this will do to you. It'll put a fire in you about the Lord Himself and give you a desire. It's like the preamble to, to genuine revival and spiritual awakening. This is what I believe. This is because that's what happens at the end of Revelation. Is this is the greatest revival that ever happened? Heaven completely comes down. If that ain't revival, there ain't no thing is revival. This is like the big deal thing here. But th we can begin to have this. But I just wanted to say this, okay? Jesus is the only one qualified. I know some people question why Jesus is the only way. Well, this is what I told you today. That's why he's the only way. Because he gave himself for it. He bled for it. He died for it. And he died and he was buried. But the cool thing about it, he didn't stay dead. He came back alive. And that, quali that gives him unique qualifications because he's the person in all creation and all history who died and came back on his own accord. Other people have died and got raised by the power of God or even there's probably been people who have been raised up by demonic powers, but he's the only person who came back on his own. He didn't have to have somebody to raise him. He conquered death. He defeated all this. Therefore, he has a right to open them scrolls, and he has a right to own everything because he owned it from the beginning. And he gave it to us, and he still wants us to have it because he wants us to share. That's why the Bible says we're kings and priests. It says that. But I'm not going to take to, to read it, but I'm going to read verse 8, okay? Is that cool? Are we all right? Well, verse 7 says, Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. That's the Lamb. Okay? In verse 8, it says, When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Isn't that powerful? We need some Holy Ghost falling down. That's the ultimate Holy Ghost falling down. When he took it, they fell down. Let me just finish reading this. You can handle this, right? And each having a harp and a golden bowls full of incense, which we know are the prayers. Well, it says it, which are the prayers of the saints. So your prayers count. 
Your prayers count. Your prayers are important in what God's doing. And your worship is, y'all, your worship is. That's what heart means. It means there's a worship. Become a worshiper. Don't become a spectator. Be a worshiper. Step out of yourself and worship. You have to step out of yourself to do it. Can I tell you one little story real quick? Would y'all be all right? Or you want me to just go on to you? Well, here's the one story since Becky ain't in the room. So Becky, I meet this girl, Becky. She's 17 years old, okay, when I meet her. She is a telephone counselor at 17 at PTL. Y'all, some of y'all don't remember PTL. They had telephone counselors. She was one of them. So she drags me up to PTL. And they're doing the televised thing. And there were people there trying to get, you know, because they're going to pan the audience with the cameras and all that stuff, trying to get you to get up and raise your hand. I'm thinking, I'm not doing that. Are you crazy? I'm not doing this stuff. You know, I ain't raising my hand just because you want me to raise my hands. You know, that's what I was thinking inside. Like, these people are idiots. I'm not doing this kind of stuff. I don't know what kind of religion Becky's into, but it wasn't quite like I was thinking, you know. Well, you know, the Holy Spirit got a hold of me about that and rebuked the fire out of me and said, you know, it doesn't matter. You know what people do. You need to worship me. That's basically what he told me. You need to worship me, period. Not Just because you don't like what they're doing and you're offended at them for trying to get you to do something on television. Yeah, I think some of you all need to. I just think there's people in this room, you need to give yourself to worship. You need to be intentional about it. And there's something about being a personal worshiper, and there's also something about being a corporate worshiper. And I'm just going to be honest with you. It's happening in heaven. And I just think being intentional about it. And they sang a new song, new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And having redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. You see that? We shall. So, you know, I'm going to stop. It goes on. But this was the greatest. This, that right there, those verses, if you read on, is the greatest worship service that's recorded in the Bible. It says, all of heaven entered in. Heaven explodes when Christ took that scroll because heaven knew finally the work of the cross will be 100% complete on earth and, the, and humanity will be brought back to their rightful place and this mess that the devil's doing will be put to an end finally. Amen. And that's the Lord we serve. That's the God we're declaring and we're not going to back away from that. I don't care. We're not backing away from that. We're just going to stick to that, that theme, that narrative. Christ is king. And each one of us, that if he is truly your king inside of you, you carry the kingdom. And part of what we're supposed to do is begin to let that kingdom expand in our circles of influence. Amen. Let's just stand up and we're going to let Mr. Aaron come in here. But I want to pray for you right quick. Pray that the Holy Spirit get a hold of our hearts. Yeah? And don't, don't get me wrong about the worship stuff. Okay, I'm not looking for you to have experience for me. I'm just saying, Jesus deserves to be worshipped. 
Yeah. He deserves our worship. He deserves us to really declare these things to Him because He did all this. And He wants us. He seeks worshipers. Is it not worship, but the worshipers because He wants your heart. And that's a way... And he's a generous God because when we worship, he, he shares with us. He just shares himself with us. It just, I don't know how that works. It ain't earning nothing because it's given. It's a gift. But we, put our, we position ourselves. Well, let me just pray. Father, the Bible says kiss the son. I just have this weird picture, okay? I'm going to tell you. I just weird picture of me kissing Becky. I like that picture. I don't know about you, but I like kissing my wife. I mean, you know, that's kind of a nice thing to do. You know, especially if you like your spouse, right? But there has to be, there has to be, you know, both parties have to be willing, right? If I go try to kiss her, like, mm-mm, she's done that before when I was being bad, <laughs> which is often. <laughs> that's worship. It says in Psalm 2, kiss the son. Kiss the son. Because he's receptive. He's receptive to us being close to his heart. He's receptive to our love for him. And he wants to give us his love. And he wants to give us power to be his witnesses. So let's ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we ask you. We want to be baptized afresh. In the Holy Spirit, full, filled afresh, anointed afresh. Jesus went about doing good, destroying the works of the devil, because he was anointed with the Holy Spirit, the presence and the power of Jesus. And we are asking you, if you mean that, ask him to do it. Just say, I want that, Lord. I don't know how that works. I can't earn it. It's a gift, but I do want it. I want it. I want it, and I receive it. Um, during worship, I um, I just kept seeing pictures of mountains and um, being moved and melting. You know, it's like like in the Word, and I just felt to pray for that. Like it's even specifically during the offering, I felt debt was going to melt. I felt it was going to be cast into the sea, but not just money, like spiritual things, even in your identity. In your emotions, anything that you would consider a mountain, I ask God that you would bring it to mind now. Whatever that is right now, whatever feels like a mountain, let it come to mind. And I felt that we were um, to, to call it to move. But before you pray that, if that mountain moves, that means that you have to change because something is different. And so I feel the Lord inviting you. If that mountain moves, then you have to yield to change. Oh. And I felt too just connected to what Jim was uh, shared a couple weeks ago about birthing and transition in order to birth you have to yield. You have to yield in transition. You have a single focus and you yield your whole body to birth that child. There's a single focus. 
Yield. Yield. So if, if this is resonating with you, I invite you to pray to move. We, right now, we have to collectively, we speak to every person connected in this room, every mountain, we command you to move in Jesus' name. Every season that's out of season, move in Jesus' name. Old things fall away, move in Jesus' name. Debt, move in Jesus' name. Sickness, move in Jesus' name. Spiritual landscapes internally, move in Jesus' name. Whoa, make way for the King. Make way for the King in your life. Make way. God, we invite you to move in our church body. Lord, and we surrender. We surrender to you. We choose to yield to you, God. We yield to your spirit. We yield to your dominion and authority on the earth and in our own person, in our own life. We choose to yield. We say yes and amen. Yes. You know, I think there's an impartation for authority this morning. Before we leave, I don't want us to leave after something like that and not receive an impart from the Lord for authority and power and the dominion that God's purchased for us to walk in. So, um, God, we release your authority. You released it when you said it was finished. And when you ascended to the right hand of the Father, you released your authority in the earth and you recommissioned. As Byron said, you brought us back to the garden at that point. That we would extend your kingdom. That you don't need a 501c3 to be in ministry. That God's given you the ministry of reconciliation. Each and every one of you possess the ministry of reconciliation. So we declare that over your life. That it's not meant to sit in a pew. But it's to bring about the works of the Lord. That the land would yield its increase. That the people and the places that we go would shift. Atmospheres would shift in the name of Jesus. That I see pictures of homes like Physical houses bowing down to the Lord. Physical homes bowing down to the Lord. Because of partnering with the Lord. So God, we receive your abiding love this morning. We receive your mercy and your kindness and your faithfulness. Change me, God, first. And change the world around me. If you need prayer specifically this morning, uh, whether it be healing um, I just saw um, people can't go to sleep. So if you need, um, if you need uh, rest physically, like you actually need to go to sleep, I want you to come on up and get prayer. Um, and if you need any, any bit of prayer, there's lovely people here that would be glad to, to pray over you. Um, bless you and uh, have a great week. Bless you all.